Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, February 11th, we are studying Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 19. Jesus has sent his disciples out to proclaim the kingdom of God to the lost sheep of Israel. And now St. Matthew recounts for us once again the first preacher who proclaimed that message, John the Baptist, though his circumstances have changed considerably since the last time we heard from him. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Paul Pater. Pastor Pater serves at Shepherd of the Ridge Lutheran Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio, and Hope Lutheran Church in Sheffield Village, Ohio. Pastor Pater, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Hey, glad to be back on. As we get started this morning, Pastor Pater, give us some context. We're coming out of, of chapter 10, which is one of those long discourses of Jesus here in Matthew's gospel. What's, what's there for us that we need to know going into chapter 11? Yeah, well, um, starting off in chapter 10, you get a list of the 12 apostles. You get their, their names all listed out. Uh, but then you have Jesus sending the 12 out uh, to the lost sheep of Israel. They're supposed to go and, and proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, which is the same message that John the Baptist preached and the same message he preached. And now he's sending out the 12 to, to go and, and do that, that same message of uh, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he also instructs them to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse lepers, to cast out demons. I mean, he's um, really empowering them to go out and do some pretty awesome things. But he tells them not to really take a whole lot of stuff with them, not to bring any extra money or, you know, any extra clothes or sandals or anything like that, uh, but to kind of go from, from town to town and, and trust that God's going to provide for them throughout that. Uh, but he also warns them that there is persecution that's going to come to them as they go out and, and preach and teach. Uh, and we were going to see that persecution pop up in John's story for today as well. Um, but he goes out and he tells them, basically, you know, you guys are going to be hated by all for my name's sake, um, but you will persevere through this. You will be, um, you will be persecuted. Yes, that's true. But he promises to be with them. You know, he tells them that the disciples not above the teacher, and we're going to see that. Um, especially in John's story today and kind of what he's got going on there, that uh, they are going to face persecution. John's going to face persecution, but uh, Christ promises to be with them in the midst of that. So that's kind of where we're at. He's just, like you said, had this long discourse and, and teaching and talking about kind of the dividing nature of the, the gospel. A little bit before our um, text for today, you know, he has this really infamous passage of, I did not come to bring peace on earth, but I came to bring a sword, um, which is talking about kind of the dividing nature of the gospel and kind of what's going to be happening as not only John goes out and preaches and teaches, but as the, the 12 go out as well. So it's kind of where we're at for today. One one more thought on, on the context. In the very yeah. immediate context where Jesus talks about whoever receives a prophet because he's a prophet receives a prophet's reward. Is there maybe a bit of an ironic nature to that statement as to what we're going to see the reward that John the Baptist has today? Yeah. Cause when you think about a, a, a prophet's reward, um, you often will think of like the heavenly blessings of like, you know, forgiveness, eternal life, salvation, all that stuff. But on the flip side of that, there's also that kind of persecution I was mentioning. So what's, what's John's reward for faithfully teaching and preaching God's word? Well, he's imprisoned, and pretty soon he's going to have his head chopped off uh, by Herod. So um, as he talks about that, that prophet's reward, um, it's kind of that 
pardon the pun, but the kind of a two-edged sword there of, you know, there's these good things, these blessings from God, but there's also kind of these earthly consequences you might have to face for for being a disciple of Jesus. Is there's going to be that persecution and that, that suffering. So I think that's kind of um, important for our context as well as we're looking at chapter 11 here and kind of seeing um, what's happened with John kind of in in and about where where Jesus is at in today's text. Right. The world the world has one sort of reward for the prophet. Christ has a different sort of reward for the prophet. And that's that's the the tension I think that John is living in, as we're gonna see in prison here. And and Christ calls John back to to recall the heavenly reward that is promised even as he's receiving receiving this other reward from from the world. So let's go ahead and, and take a look at the text here in Matthew chapter eleven, beginning at verse one. When Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. That's the text we have for today, Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 19. Pastor Peter, the text starts just bringing out that context that we discussed at the beginning. Jesus has finished instructing his 12 disciples. He goes on to continue the ministry that he's begun already. And then, then John comes back into the picture, which I, I think given what you, know, you brought out earlier, that Jesus says a student is not above his teacher, talking to the 12 disciples who are following him. Well, well, what about that, that guy who came before Jesus? What's, what's going on with him? And so Matthew brings out his story, and we find out that John's in prison. He hears what Jesus is doing. He sends some of his disciples and goes and asks Jesus this question, are you the one who's to come, or shall we look for another? What's, what's going on here? Yeah, I think it's... Um kind of very telling this question that John has his messengers go and ask. Because you got to imagine being in John's situation. Like he's been told probably from the time he could listen as a little child, like, you know, his parents telling him like, hey, angels came and told us you're going to be this great person. You're going to be this forerunner of Jesus Christ. You're going to be, you're going to be this guy who points people to the Messiah and the Savior. Um, you're going to go and preach and teach God's Word. You're going to teach His law and gospel. Um, and it's going to be great. You're going to be really awesome. And he's been told this his entire life. Um, and he goes out and he faithfully preaches and teaches. He baptizes Jesus. He sees the Spirit of God descend on Jesus in his baptism and um, you know, sees these great awesome things. And then through his faithful work of, of preaching and teaching, he preaches against King Herod, who 
Herod had taken his brother's wife for himself um, and had John was preaching against that sin. So that preaching landed him in prison. So I kind of imagine here when John asked this question, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? I think he's really kind of at this moment second-guessing God's promises for him. That's not to say that like he stopped you know, believing or stopped being a Christian or anything like that. Um, but I really think he's kind of struggling with, okay, this is what God has promised me, but I'm sitting here in a jail cell. Like, how am I supposed to be the forerunner of Christ from here? Like, um, you know, we would think like, well, shouldn't John be somehow protected by God so that nothing bad would happen to him? So I really think that as John asked this question here, he's a guy who's kind of struggling with God's promises versus the reality of what he's seeing and kind of living out his his life and being stuck in this, this jail cell. Um, is that kind of similar to what you were, were thinking as you looked at this text? Right. So so there's oh Pastor Peter, we could we could spend the whole hour probably on oh, just, I know, this, just question this question alone. Right? Right. Um, so there just uh, let's start here. There's some there's some differences uh, of opinion in the history of the church when looking at this verse as to whether or not John actually doubts. Be- and right. the reason I think there's a question is because we know who John is. Uh, Jesus is going to, to, you know, laud John later on right here. We know that John is the foreign of the Christ. We know that John knows who Jesus is. He's confessed Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So to see John doubting here seems to be a little inconsistent. And so there's been some question in the history of the church as to whether or not he, he doubts or not. One of the answers that's often given is that John here is not doubting himself, but he's sending these two disciples for their sake. Because if you think about it, by this point, John's disciples should all be Jesus' disciples right now. John shouldn't right. have any disciples left. And so I... I I get that. And I, I think that that makes some sense. And certainly John's disciples need to hear the answer that Jesus is going to give. At the same time, I don't think that we need to shield John from doubt. I think it's consistent with not only John, but the, the entire biblical witness to see God's saints struggling with doubt, particularly a guy like John, who's said to be the Elijah who is to come, look at Elijah's ministry. Elijah has this, this great success in 1 Kings 18, right? The, 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 the altar is burned up. The prophets of Baal are slaughtered. And then what happens? Jezebel's out to kill him. And he runs away to Mount Sinai. And he's complaining because he's, he's got some struggles with doubt. And so to see John struggling with doubt here as just as you've laid out for us pastor Peter because he's in prison and and he's been preaching about Jesus that that the axe is at the root of the trees and the chaff's going to be burned up those two things don't seem to go together and so to see John struggling with that doubt i i i think that that's consistent I, i'm not against saying that John's disciples need to hear the answer too but i also don't think we need to somehow shield John from you know, what any Christian experiences when we know what God's promises are, but we look at the world and we don't see it and, and we need to hear the word proclaimed. So there, I, I've, I've said my three minutes or so, Pastor Peter, there you go. <laughs> go ahead and respond. Yeah, well, um, you know, as, as you were thinking about that, you know, I was, I was thinking about our, our own lives of faith and how um, our lives of faith are not ones where we never, ever, ever doubt, and to doubt, you know, would be um, something that would call our faith into question. You know, that's not that's not a thing. Where one of my favorite prayers in Scripture is the uh, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, which is the. God, I know all the promises you have for me. I know these things that you've promised um, will be mine, but I'm struggling.
struggling with X, Y, and Z. You know, I believe, help my unbelief. And I think this is one of those moments for John of, God, I, I know the promises you have for me. I know what I'm supposed to do as this forerunner of Christ, but I don't understand how I'm supposed to do this from a jail cell where I'm at, or I don't understand how I'm supposed to um, do the things you want me to from here. Um, I think oftentimes in our own lives, too, we have these uh, kind of Lord, I believe, help my unbelief moments of um, we can often think, well, if God you know, wants me to be a Christian, if he wants me to be one of his disciples, we can sometimes get this false idea of, well, then God wouldn't let anything bad happen to me. God, you know, does, you know, will protect me. He won't let any sort of bad things, evil things happen to me. Um, but the problem with that belief is that God doesn't promise that bad things won't happen to us. In fact, he promises quite the opposite. If you look at the last chapter, what's going to happen for those who... Um, follow Christ, who are his disciples, bad things are going to happen. Persecution is going to come. Suffering is going to come. So I definitely think John's question here, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? I think it's a valid one. I think it's a one of uh, a believer struggling with God's promises in the face of a really harsh reality. And, you know, so often you and I, when we face struggles in this life. We face, you know, those struggles of, God, I know you've promised this, but, like, I don't know how you could possibly keep your promise when all this bad stuff's happening. Um, So I definitely think that's where kind of John is at. And I think oftentimes when we look at the people in Scripture, we can sometimes get this idea that they are somehow kind of superhuman in that, oh, you know, these these people that we read about in the Bible, they never struggle with their faith, they never have times of doubt or anything like that, but when you really look at the text, I mean, you see folks who are faithful believers, but who still at the same time struggle with God's Word, and I think that struggle is a healthy uh, thing for a believer to go through. Um, If you didn't struggle with God's word at one point or another, I'd actually um, have questions of like, well, how do you not struggle with this, that, or the other thing? So, um, but I do like John's response here is that John sends his disciples to go to Jesus for the answer. He doesn't like look out into the world around him. He doesn't ask around who other people think Jesus is. He goes straight to the source. He goes straight to Jesus himself. And I think that's uh, a good model for us as we struggle with our own sins. Who do we turn to in those times when we struggle with God's promises? We go straight to the source. We can turn straight to Christ, which is what John does here as he sends out his disciples to, to speak to Jesus. Um, what do you think about kind of that that aspect of that, Pastor Apple? So I, I think one of the things that, that you said that I, I really keyed in on, how how could John be the forerunner of Christ from a jail cell? Or or how, you know, John John doesn't understand how he can do his job as forerunner from a jail cell. And I think it's it's worth noting that that John's question he doesn't seem to be questioning his own identity as the forerunner, but he questions whether or not Jesus is the guy he's really running ahead of. Because if, if Jesus is the guy he's running ahead of, then why is Jesus leaving him in a jail cell? And so the, the question here ultimately comes down to the identity of, of Christ and, and Jesus. Is he the Christ? And, and, and it, it just, as, as you were talking, as I was just thinking about this, it dawns on me that, that for John to be the forerunner of Christ, he actually has to be in a jail cell. Because where is Christ going? Christ mm. is going to be arrested, to be crucified, to be raised. And so if John is properly going to be the forerunner of the Christ, he's exactly where he needs to be. Now, now that's what, that's what, I mean, that's what Jesus has just been talking to his disciples about. He's preparing that them for that ahead of time. 
John John didn't get the benefit of that preaching, or at least not from the words of of the Lord Himself, right? He 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 should have probably picked up on it somewhere in the Old Testament, right? The, I think you and I have talked about the promise, the prophet Amos, uh, you know, yeah. a, a couple of times, right? And and Amos Amos gets persecuted for for preaching the truth, and so John maybe should have picked it up from the Old Testament, but like many of Jesus' contemporaries, they didn't pick these things up from the Old Testament and Jesus had to come and tell them. <laughs> and so the 12 get to hear it ahead of time. John hasn't gotten to hear this yet. And and so he needs to be told, hey, this is how you're going to be the forerunner of the Christ is by being in the jail cell, ultimately, as you said, by being beheaded. But you're also going to then follow Christ in his resurrection later. And so, I, I mean, I just, all of this comes together to to remind us that this text finally is not about John, but the text is finally about Christ and who he is, that, that Jesus shows himself to be the Christ. So, and he does that. He does that in his answer. Uh, and Pastor Perry, we got, we got five minutes here before the break, just kind of give you the heads up as, as to where we're okay. going, because we could, again, we could spend tons of time here on, on Jesus' answer. John asks his question through the disciples, what's Jesus' answer to John? Yeah, Jesus' answer here is really beautiful. He's like, Tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Um, so really what we have here, as you were talking about, you know, linking back to the Old Testament, this is linking back to Isaiah chapter 61, and let me find it here real quick. Um, in Isaiah 61, um, it talks about the year of the Lord's favor. And here's what Isaiah says in that text. Uh, the spirit of the Lord God was upon me because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Um, you know, as I was looking at this text of what what Jesus tells John disciples to see, it just harkens back to that text, and I didn't even realize uh, until I just read it just now that there's this idea of setting captives free, that even though John's going to be in prison, he's not going to be there forever. Yes, he's going to die, but um, he has the hope of the resurrection. Um, but as Jesus is answering John's question here. I like that he doesn't just come out and say, yes, I'm the guy. Um, he's like, uh, instead, I want to show you what I'm doing. Uh, that he's doing some pretty miraculous things. He's making blind people see again. Um, he's making lame people walk. He's cleansing lepers with a touch. Um, he's making the deaf here. He's raising the dead. I mean, he's doing these wonderful miracles, but the most wonderful thing he's doing is he's preaching good news. He's preaching the gospel to the poor. Um, and to preach that gospel of salvation and forgiveness um, so that John's disciples can go back with a resounding like, yeah, he's the one. He's the one Isaiah promised long ago. Um, he's the one Amos promised long ago. So we talked about Amos before. Um, and we're going to even see a little later in the text that John himself was even written about in the Old Testament as a, a messenger who's going to go and, and prepare the way for, for Christ. Um, you know, all of this stuff is tied back to those Old Testament texts and these promises from God that Jesus is the fulfillment of this text from Isaiah. John's going to, we're going to see is a fulfillment of uh, a text from Malachi um, that Jesus is doing these miraculously awesome things that he is the one who is to come to um, set God's people free from their sin. What, what's wonderful, I think, about Jesus' answer, and of course it's wonderful, Jesus gives it, right? Um, right. But, but as, you, as you said, he, he does say yes, right? The answer to John's question, are you the one who is to come? Yes, Jesus is the one. But, but rather than just saying yes, he points John to the very things that he's already been seeing, right? John heard in prison 
the deeds of the Christ, Jesus says, well, here are the deeds of the Christ and I'm doing them. So, so believe, right? Believe. And, and as you pointed out, one of the just very striking features of Jesus' answer is that it, it, he, you know, he's like he's building to a climax. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. Which, which I mean, when I think about the most amazing things that I could see, that would probably top the list, that the dead would be raised up. But, but Jesus doesn't stop there. And as you, as you rightly said, Pastor Pater, the greatest miracle that Jesus is doing is this preaching of the good news to the poor. Because that's, that's what's going to last at the end of the day. And that, because, because that's what's going to get you to the resurrection. See, all, all these people that, that Jesus healed, the blind receiving their sight, the lame walking, lepers being cleansed, deaf here, even the dead that are raised up, where are they right now? They, they died again. But, but those who hear the good news that Jesus has to preach and believe, uh, they will be raised on the last day and, and their sight will have no end. Their hearing will have no end. Their life will have no end because they've been raised with Christ because they believe the good news that he preached. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFO. We need to take a short break from looking at Matthew 11, but we'll be right back to the text. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. On this Tuesday, February 11th, we're looking at Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 19 with Pastor Paul Pater of Shepherd of the Ridge Lutheran Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio, and Hope Lutheran Church in Sheffield Village, Ohio. Pastor Pater, prior to the break, we left off with Jesus' answer to John in verses 4 through 6 of the text. And we talked about what he tells John, yes, and here's why I'm doing what the Christ is supposed to be doing. And then he concludes with maybe a, a strange, it's a beatitude, right? Blessed is. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. In order to understand that, we probably need to, to understand, well, what is Jesus as it's translated in English, what does it mean to be offended by Jesus, and why is the one not offended by Jesus blessed? Yeah, well, um, as you look at the the kind of context of, of Matthew and kind of some of the things that Jesus has been talking about so far, I mean, he's already alluded to the fact that the way his story is going to end in this life, uh, at least until the resurrection, is, is he's going to go to the cross and suffer and die a pretty brutal, awful death, which if you're looking for the Messiah, if you're looking for the Savior of the world, the last place most people would look is, hey, let's look at this guy who's getting hung on a cross as a common criminal, beaten up and bloodied and just dying a terrible death. Um, As you look at the gospel of Jesus Christ, I mean, it can be downright offensive to some people. Um, and, you know, as we, we look at that text, uh, that was a little bit before this, talking about that dividing nature of the gospel. Um, Jesus isn't saying, um, you know, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. He's not talking about, like, uh, an offense in such a way where, it, you know, it seems like nowadays everybody's just offended at everything all the time. Like, definitely don't go to the comments section on any video on YouTube or anything like that, because um, you'll you'll see probably some pretty offensive stuff there, or people just kind of, you know, on, talking on, on Facebook and and just kind of being rude and argumentative. That's not really what, what Jesus is getting at here. He's talking about um, blessed is the one who's not offended by his his gospel and the things he's going to do, especially as that leads to this 
salvation that he's come to bring about uh, is coming in a way that absolutely no one expects. Like, no one's expecting Jesus to go to the cross and suffer and die as the salvation of the world. Like, if, if you were charged with, okay, let's make a plan for how we're going to save the world, a guy dying on a cross outside of Jerusalem is not a plan that most people would come up with or a plan that looks like a victory, um, you know, because the cross looks like defeat. Uh, and I think that's kind of where Jesus is getting at here is blessed is the one who's not offended by me because Jesus is doing some pretty awesome things in this, this text. He's talking about how he's given sight to the blind. He's, he's helped the lame to walk and things like that. Um, but that good news that we talked about right before the break, that good news of the, of the gospel is Jesus is going to go and suffer and die. Uh, and to the world, that death doesn't look like victory. It looks like defeat. And people could very easily be offended by this Savior who bleeds and dies. Uh, for the salvation of the world. So I think that's kind of what, what Jesus is getting at there. What would you, um, you kind of concur with that, Pastor Apple? Yeah, and, and just to add that John John particularly, I think, needs to hear this because he, he is in danger there in prison of being caused to stumble, to fall away because of the circumstances that he's there, right? He's, he's in prison because of Christ. And, and knowing that that's where Christ is going to go, like, like you're saying, what, what kind of a savior are you, Jesus? I'll find someone else. That's the, the sort of offense that we're talking mm-hmm. about, that, that I would look for another savior because I don't like this savior who suffers and dies and who tells me I'm going to suffer and die with him. I don't like that. I'm going to go find myself another savior. Thanks a lot, Jesus, right? Jesus right. says, blessed is the person who doesn't have that kind of reaction, who is not caused to stumble or fall away from the faith because this is a, a suffering, dying Savior who calls you to follow him in that path. And so John particularly, I think, needs to, to hear that answer. And so the two disciples take the answer to, to John, and John hears it, but, but Matthew now directs our attention toward Jesus. And Jesus starts to tell the crowds who are there a, a little bit about John. And again, I think with, with the point of finally telling them something about himself, what does is, what is Jesus begin to tell the crowds now about John? Yeah, so um, he asked them kind of some rhetorical questions as he's um, talking to the, the crowds now. He's like, well, okay, what did you, you all go out to see in the wilderness? Did you go to see uh, a reed shaken by the wind? Well, no one's going out into the wilderness to see that. But um, kind of the, the imagery that is, is being evoked there is um, a reed that's shaken by the wind kind of shifts every time the, the wind blows. So Jesus is asking, um, did you guys go out to see a guy who was going to change his opinion with every shift in the, the public's opinion about something like a reed shaking in the wind? Well, no, you didn't go out to see that because John's definitely not a yes man. He's not a guy who changes his mind about a particular thing when the rest of the world is kind of trying to make him change his mind. He sticks firmly to God's word of truth. I mean, so much so that it's landed him in, in prison right now. Um, so Jesus asked, did you guys go out to see a reed shaken by the wind? Nope. Uh, What then did you go to see? What about a a man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. Um, So John's not dressed in in soft clothing. If you remember his description from earlier, um, John's wearing a camel hair vest, which I'm sure was very um, itchy and uncomfortable and not at all fashionable. Um, he's wearing a leather belt around his waist. He's eating locusts and wild honey. Um, and this is very much the description you get of Elisha from the Old Testament, of Elijah's going out and he's um, dressed in this same getup. So John's not a guy in, in soft clothing. The guys in soft clothing, those guys were in castles, in, in Herod's castle. You know, John's not one of... Uh, 
Harold's, uh, Herod's, excuse me, uh, cronies, one of his stooges. Um, he is not in the king's castle. He's in the king's prison, um, which is where he's ended up because he has preached this word. So Jesus says, you guys go see a, a man in soft clothing? No, you didn't go out to see that. So what did you go out to see? Um, and Jesus tells him, you went out to see a prophet. Because you got to remember, the, the dawn's out in the wilderness pointing people to Christ and, and baptizing people. Um, so he's out there as a prophet. He's not ha- setting up shop in the king's castle to go baptize people there. Now he's out in the, the wilderness preparing people for Christ. And then Jesus actually quotes uh, from Malachi, uh, the last book of the Old Testament. Um, He says in verse 10 here, uh, This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. So Jesus tells the people, like, this John is a fulfillment of this verse from Malachi chapter 3. You know, there's... The Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. you got like a 400-ish year gap between the Old Testament and the New. So Jesus is pointing people back to that um, last book of the Old Testament and saying, hey, remember when Malachi said this? John's doing that stuff. Um, I mean, and that's pretty high praise for John. And you see that high praise kind of continue on in verse 11 here where Jesus says, Uh, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Um, So there's kind of this weird juxtaposition between um, John being great and John being the least. So um, I kind of wanted to take a, a look at that. So what do you think... Uh, Jesus is getting at there when he says that among those born of women, uh, no one is greater than John the Baptist. That's a question I was going to ask you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, take it, take us into it. I mean, this is okay. uh, I'll, just as a way of introduction. This is another one of those spots. There's there's a couple of really enigmatic statements here in this text, and this is one of those where there's. A, in the history of the church, there's some some question as to exactly well, what is Jesus talking about. So so let's let's talk a little about it, Pastor Peter. Yeah. Well, um, as Jesus is is describing John here, I mean, he's talking about someone who's who's very great. I mean, he's the forerunner of Christ. I mean, John gets to do some pretty incredible stuff. He gets to, like I said, be this forerunner of Christ. He gets to go and preach God's word in the wilderness. He's really the last great prophet of kind of the the old covenant as we prepare to, to look to Christ. So John announces Christ's first coming. He baptizes Christ. Um, and, you know, even in that time, John's like, well, really, Jesus, I, I, I shouldn't be the one baptizing you. You should be the one baptizing me. Um, but Jesus says, well, we need to, to do this to fulfill all righteousness. So John gets to baptize God, which is a crazy sentence when you think about it, uh, that John gets to baptize God in the flesh. Um, but then, you know, John's also going to precede Jesus in, in his martyr's death. Um, so as Jesus speaks here of John, he's got high praise for his cousin here of, you know, among those born of women, there's arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. But then he says, the, the one who's least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And as I was preparing for today, I was, I was really kind of struggling with that sentence for the longest of time of like, well, what does it mean that the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John? John's done some pretty great stuff. Um, But I was looking through some commentaries and some other things, and they were saying, think about John's life and what he's seen. He's not going to see Jesus' crucifixion. He's not going to see Jesus' death. He's not going to see Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Why? Because he's already going to be dead and gone. 
um, that he's going to be um, in heaven awaiting the resurrection. So even the least in the kingdom of heaven who, who put their faith in these works that Christ has done for us, his dying, his resurrection, even the least in the kingdom of heaven is, is greater than John because they trust in these promises that, that God has for us, that these things that John didn't get to see, we, through the words of Scripture, get to bear witness to that. So we have this kind of advantage over John that we don't get, uh, that John, excuse me, didn't get to see these things, uh, but we get to see them laid out in, in Scripture for us, which I think is uh, a really awesome thing that we get to see really the end of the story where John doesn't get to see it until he um, sees Christ in, in heaven after Christ's ascension. So, Right. The, the way that, and I, I, I think that's a good way of looking at it. Uh, I, it brings to mind what Jesus says in Luke chapter 10 to his disciples. He, he tells them, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And, and in that sense, then, right, the one who is least in the kingdom of, of heaven, you, you and me, right, who, who count ourselves least in the kingdom of heaven, yet, yet we have seen what Christ did, whereas John died before that, along with the, the kings and the prophets of old. The, the other way that I've heard this explained, and, and I'm, I'm not sure, but, but it's something I've heard that explained that, that Jesus says, among those born of women, there's arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. That when Jesus says the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven, he could be referring to himself. That that Jesus makes himself the least for our sake. I think about what he says in terms of later in Matthew's gospel, where he talks about who's the greatest, right? Which of the disciples is it's the one who comes like a servant. And that's how he came, as the one who came to, to serve and to give his life as a ransom, ransom for the world. And so perhaps, perhaps when Jesus says the least in the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about himself, the one who comes to give his life. Well, he's, he's, he's greater than John, of course. That's, that's another way that I've, I've heard it explained. Yeah. I, I tend, I tend to, to go along with what, with what you've, you've said already, Pastor Pater, that, that Jesus, or, yeah, Jesus here is, is saying that John didn't get to see everything that you're about to see. And, and so because of that, right, you and I today, the least in the kingdom of heaven, we share in the blessings of the kingdom of heaven just as much as, as John, this great prophet, did. We've got 10 minutes left on the morning, Pastor Peter, and I want to keep moving through the text here because I okay. know, like I said before, we could spend the whole hour probably on one of these verses. So, so Jesus, he, he brings up the matter of, of violence again. Take us through about verses 12 through, through 15 as Jesus closes out this, this section on who John is and what that means. Yeah, so um, he says that from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. That verse has always kind of just struck me funny. Um, and it's interesting, there's, um, for Reformation Day, there's two kind of gospel texts you can go off of. And one of them is this one. Um, from Matthew 11. I always thought it was kind of a strange choice of why they would pick that for that day. Um, but I talked about in the, the sermon when I preached on that of the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. I mean, it always has from the Old Testament on through the New Testament down to today. The kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. I mean, there's persecution, there's suffering, there's um, churches being destroyed, there's pastors being killed. Um, you know, the, the violent persecution that the church faces in this world is very real, but the kingdom of heaven cannot be overtaken by violence. Um, no matter what the violent try to do, they can't stop God's kingdom. And I think that's kind of going to be a very important reminder for John here, because John's going to suffer some real violence near the end of his life. I mean, he's going to be beheaded. I can't imagine that that is a very peaceful way to die. And uh, King Herod's soldiers probably thought they were just doing their job. Um, but even in their killing of John, they didn't stop 
the kingdom of God from from spreading. It's going to continue to spread. So I think that's why um, Jesus here says in the the next verse, uh, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. So we talked a little bit before about Elijah and kind of some of the work that he did and Jesus is saying here, the Old Testament, the the law, the prophets, they all prophesied about what the Christ was going to do and what he was going to be like till he came. And John is continuing that message that that Jesus is the Messiah, uh, that he's Elijah who is to come, that Elijah that was promised in the Old Testament, and that he's going to faithfully preach God's word no matter what happens in that preaching. He's going to continue to share the law and gospel of God's word for the people there. So Jesus here, as he wraps up with he who has ears to hear, let him hear, the the picture that I'm getting here is that Jesus is reminding these crowds who've observed these two disciples of John come and ask a question from him in prison. Jesus is telling these crowds, look, don't don't think that because John is in prison that you can ignore him. His preaching was a big deal, and his preaching was a big deal because he's pointing forward to me, Jesus is saying. So you got to keep listening to what John has preached because what he preached is the same thing that I'm preaching, Jesus says. And, and so that, I think, transitions us into this warning that Jesus gives here. And, and he starts talking about this generation. And he, he doesn't have the, the kindest words to say. He uses a, a, a picture, an image to, to convey this message. What's the picture that Jesus is painting here beginning in verse 16? And, and yeah, what's his uh, point? The image that Jesus uses here is like children sitting in the marketplace calling out to their playmates. Uh, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. Um, and um, you've got children. I've, I've got a, a four-year-old son. Have you ever played a game with them and they change the rules about 10 seconds into the game and, and scream that you're playing the game wrong? That happens kind occasionally. Of, yeah. <laughs> that, that's kind of what Jesus is, is alluding to here. Um, he's comparing the generation to, well, we, we played a flute for you. We played a nice thing, but you didn't dance. So we sang a dirge. We went to the other side. We, we, we did something sad, like a funeral song, and he didn't mourn. Um, so the image here is children that are playing, that keep changing their mind, and there's no satisfying them. Like my, my son, um, sometimes when we, we play games together, um, and he'll change the rules, and there's, there's no pleasing him, because you'll ask him, like, okay, are we doing it this way? Yes. And then you start doing it that way, and he's like, no, do it the other way. And it's just like, oh, there's no pleasing you. There's no winning. And uh, Jesus uses that same image with how people viewed John's ministry and how people viewed his. Um, because a little bit later he says, well, John came neither eating nor drinking, and the people say he has a demon. So, you know, he didn't eat normally. I mean, he ate locusts and wild honey. That's not normal. He didn't drink, meaning um, he, he didn't imbibe alcohol or anything like that. He uh, um, treated himself as a Nazarene, if I remember right. Um, but then you get compared with Jesus, who Jesus enjoyed food, He drank wine. He didn't drink to excess or anything like that. Um, But what do the people say about him? In verse 19, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, the interesting thing about that is they're half right. Not in the glutton or drunken part, but they're half right that Jesus is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Actually, more than that, he is their salvation. Um, Jesus is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He eats with them, he drinks with them, um, but he is also their savior and their redeemer. And yet the people weren't happy, weren't satisfied They didn't like the way John was doing things. They didn't like the way Jesus was doing things. And there was no pleasing them because they were sinful human beings. Um, But then Jesus sends out this this section by saying, 
yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. And um, if you look in Proverbs, um, wisdom there is, is personified, and that personification of wisdom actually relates back to Christ as well. So really what Jesus is saying at the end of the text here is, um, look at what I'm doing. Like, don't look at what I'm eating, don't look at what I'm drinking, but let's look back to see what I'm doing. The blind are receiving their sight, the lame are walking, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And you are blessed if you're not offended by me, Christ says. So it all comes back to, um, you know, the people here are, are taking offense at, at Jesus, and Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm the Messiah. Like, blessed are you if you're not offended by me and the work that I've done for your sake. Right, yeah. John didn't change his preaching to please the crowds. Jesus didn't change his preaching to please the crowds. And even if he had, it wouldn't have worked because they, they were upset either way. They didn't believe what the message was, the truth about who the Christ is. And so Jesus says, wisdom is justified by her deeds. Look at what's, what's happening. Look at what the scriptures say. That proves that Christ is the Christ, or Jesus is the Christ. Trust him. Do not be offended. Don't be caused to stumble by who he has shown himself to be. Pastor Bay, we got just under two minutes here on the morning. Give us a summary of everything we talked about today. Yeah, well, I think there's kind of two important things going on here. Um, first, as we look at the circumstances of John's life, to not let the circumstances of our own lives make us doubt God's word of promise for us. God's word of promise remains the same regardless of what circumstances life might throw at us. Um, that we are to continue to be faithful to him, faithful to his word, Ultimately, uh, the, the good news of this text is that God himself is faithful to us. He keeps his promises, especially that promise of salvation that we have in Christ, that we are the poor that have good news preached to us, and that we are blessed because we're not offended by Christ and by his great love and mercy for us. Pastor Paul Pater is the pastor at Shepherd of the Ridge Lutheran Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio, and Hope Lutheran Church in Sheffield Village, Ohio, helping us this morning with Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 19. Pastor Pater, thank you so much for your time today. All right, thank you as well. You have a good day. John came preaching the Christ, and yet he was put in prison. What his eyes saw didn't match with what the promises of God stated, and so he asked Christ, are you the one? The answer is yes. John had taken his question to the right person, to Jesus, who is the Christ. His deeds prove it. His preaching proves it. He is the one who dies and rises to save us sinners, to save John, to save you and me. Blessed are you who believe this good news. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple, Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.